Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not going to let a stone take my place. No. Not in a million years, no. Amen? Well, so thank for all, all that God is doing. And as you heard mentioned, Pastor Trevor, is still some who are out sick. We want to keep them in our prayers hold them up and, and those of you watching us tonight thank you for tuning in god bless you we are praying for you in jesus name amen you may be seated lord bless you before we uh dismiss i just want to uh, say a great big thank you to all of you who continue to serve and volunteer and help and some of you aren't going to be in here when i mention this later in the message but uh uh, we did the math, and Trevor and I double-checked it and triple-checked it, and 54% of our church is involved in some sort of active volunteering. Now, you think, well, that's still a lot to go, and it is, it is, but the national average is somewhere between 33 and 43%, so we're well above the national average, which is good, and uh, I think we're going to just continue to get better. So to all of you that help, thank you so much. Uh, you are what makes... Uh, pastoring a joy, and I mean that wholeheartedly. So at this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss some of those volunteers and servants. Amen. Our student ministries and children's ministries, God bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. And for everyone else, if you would join me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading at verse number 7 tonight. Through verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 4 and beginning at verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever Amen. And for just a few minutes tonight, I'm going to teach, and my title is right from verse 7, The End of All Things is at Hand. Lord Jesus, this is your church. You are God alone. You are the supreme ruler over our lives. You and your word alone saves and delivers and heals. And you know every person, every situation, you know everything. God, I pray right now that your word, we know it is anointed and we know it is appointed for this moment. So let it sink into our hearts, causing my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer that you might write it on our hearts, that we might fulfill it. Lord, without you, we are nothing. So let there be a demonstration of your spirit and power and confirm your word with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Well, hallelujah. If you haven't noticed, we are continuing through 1 Peter, and Lord willing, I'm going to finish this first epistle this year, um, and uh, we have, will have preached through uh, a number of messages uh, from this. And uh, so I, I'm excited tonight to bring to you this message uh, that the Lord has given me. It would be very easy to immediately interpret verse 7 as the coming of the Lord. Uh, and that is a, a good idea to think that way. Uh, others may look at that and say, well, Peter was near the end of his life and wanted to ensure he and others were ready. And again, that could also be true. And I'm going to show you some things 
here in a minute. There is one thing, though, that I want to point out that this does not mean. This does not mean Peter believed in and or preached an imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now, I know when I say that, some may think, wait a minute, I thought he was coming back. He is coming back. But the word imminent means he could come back at any moment. And according to Scripture, there are things that the Bible says must take place before he does. Paul wrote in Thessalonians and said, that day shall not come. What day is he referring to? The day of the coming of the Lord. That day shall not come unless there's a falling away and the man of sin, the son of perdition, is revealed. Also, another reason I don't believe Peter would have preached this as an imminent return of Christ, even though it does apply to the coming of the Lord, is because Jesus specifically told him that when you are old, you will be carried away and martyred. That's in John, the 21st chapter. Well, either that is correct, or it's correct that Jesus had come at any minute. And if you believe that he could come at any minute, then what Jesus had said to Peter about his death and his martyrdom would not be true. And we know God can't lie. Uh, Paul, the same thing happened with Paul. He would not have preached that because Paul was told he would testify to God before God in Rome and also he would suffer. And so, again, he would not have preached that God could come before those events or things did, in fact, happen. So we know that Peter wrote this somewhere around 63, 64 AD, and here's why that's important. Because this is around the same time historically that Nero is burning Rome and blaming the Christians. This is about six to seven years before 70 AD, which, if you know your history, is when the temple and Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was destroyed by Titus. And so it is also very possible that not only was Peter projecting prophetically forward to our day when we could use this and say, yeah, the end of all things, Jesus is coming soon, but he was also, I believe, projecting to a more sooner event of the end of all things happening. And that actually plays into the rest of the context of chapter 4, and I'm going to preach on that a little bit on Sunday. So the phrase, the end of all things is at hand, which is also my title tonight, has both a personal and a prophetical meaning. When you read the Bible, we must look at it through, first of all, its literal lens. What does the Scripture say? Who is the author? What is, or who is the audience? What is the subject? So on and so forth. We must look from that context, that historical context, the etymology of words, the understanding of idioms, the original audience intent, so on and so forth. And we must accept its literalness in that regard. We can then look and see, does it point to something prophetical? Does it point to the first coming of Jesus? Does it point to the second coming of Jesus? Is there another element of this scripture that is prophetical? Then we must also look at its personal. How do I apply this scripture for me? Take, for example, the account of David and Goliath. You hear a lot of times sports teams and other things using that phrase, even companies sometimes, the little guy David takes on the big company Goliath, and, and, and they even play off of that. So how do we apply the story of David and Goliath? I don't know about you, but I'm not facing any big giants that are nine feet tall that I'm having to take down with a stone and a sling, right? So how can I apply that? So understanding that personally and how we apply that also is imperative. So literal, prophetical, and personal. So let's take a look at that with this particular verse 7. Literally, I believe that it, this can apply to both the fact that Peter is, is soon going to be uh, martyred and that soon you know, Rome is going to destroy the temple. I believe prophetical. It can imply the second coming of Jesus because that still hasn't happened yet. And we can use that to say the end of all things is at hand. It's getting closer. We're definitely a lot closer to the coming of the Lord than Peter was. And then we can personally apply this by saying 
I need to make sure that I'm doing what the rest of this context teaches to pursue peace, to pursue holiness, so that I am numbered in that day when Jesus returns and hear him say, well done. All right, so with all of that, let's dive in and find out what we can do since the end of all things is at hand. Well, first, we've got to be sober. Be ye therefore sober. The word sober here means to curb one's passions and be of a sound mind. That's Thayer's dictionary. From Vine's expository dictionary, it means to be temperate and self-controlled. The man who was delivered of a legion of devils by Jesus, the Bible says, was clothed and in his right mind. Mark 5.15. This reveals Jesus' power to restore a person to a sound and a self-controlled mind, and that's what the word sober is indicating. Can I tell you that our society is drunk? And not just with alcohol. It is drunk on power. Drunk on entertainment. Drunk on personal agendas. Drunk on all things related to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Therefore, a drunk world needs a sober church. Amen. Can I tell you that your friends that are in the world need you to be a church that has the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 4, look not every man on the thing, his own things, but every man on, also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, that's what our world needs. Humble people, people who are preferring others, people who have the mind of Christ in our world. Amen. Can I tell you today that your co-workers need you to be a church that manifests the fruit of the Spirit. There's enough of the works of the flesh that is prevalent in, in our society and taking center stages across the world. We need some people that will walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen? Galatians 5 verse 16 or 17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You can't live half in the world and half in the church. It doesn't work. Verse 18, But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderings, drunk murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And again, we see that prevalent throughout our world today. He says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Somebody say love. love. Amen. I'm thankful for the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering. It's gentleness. It's goodness. It's faith. It's meekness, temperance. And against such there is no law. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We know that the first, the indication, the initial sign of someone receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. Amen? Acts 2, 4, etc. and so forth, right? You know what the second is? The second indication is bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Being changed. Amen? Letting that come out. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, what are you full of? Because what you're full of will come out. <laughs> amen? Yeah, amen, brother. Help me too. <laughs> amen. We all need it, don't we? Hallelujah. I especially need it with, you know, some of these drivers. 
Brother Keith noted the other day, my wife has also noted the same thing. Why is it they always get in front of me? I, I, I must have a magnet on my truck that attracts them. But it happens, and, and the Lord just keeps testing my patience. And I just, I, so I've started blessing them. Lord, bless them, bless them. I've even prayed the Lord bless them with brains, you know, to, you know, learn which pedal to push. But, you know, no, I'm teasing. I have a couple times, but. <laughs> Amen. Can I tell you that this drunk world we're in needs a sober church? Well, it needs a church that lives soberly. Listen to what Titus said, verse 11, chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Aren't you thankful that everyone has a chance to be saved? Teaching us that. So notice, grace doesn't just come to save us, but also to teach us. Grace is a teacher. It doesn't just save me, it teaches me. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Looking forward, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I want to fulfill that. I want to be that person that's doing that. Hallelujah. Amen. As you walk soberly, revealing Christ to the world, Always remember this. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Again, that's indicating what it means to be sober. Did you know with that sound mind, that sober thinking, if you're a sober church, if you're a sober disciple maker in a drunk world, did you know you can influence others? to trade their sin for God's salvation. And they too can walk soberly with God. What, and what a trade it is. How many of you know what that feels like? To trade the sin sickness of this world for the salvation of God. To trade the pain, amen, for purpose. Amen? Hallelujah. I traded jealousy for joy. Hallelujah. I, I traded my mess for His miracle. Amen. Well, what else do we do since the end of all things is at hand? Secondly, watch unto prayer. This is still in verse 7 there, the last part of it. And watch unto prayer. The value and the reality of prayer cannot be overemphasized. It is our direct communication to God and with God. It provides hope, joy, peace, and boosts our faith. It is an opportunity to worship God. It is an opportunity to commune with Him and enjoy the glory and splendor of His presence. Has anyone in this room ever spoken to the current or any President of the United States personally? Anybody? Okay. How many of you work for a company that, or, or a, you know, whatever, that might have a lot of employees or whatever, and there's a, there's a big CEO or whatever. Anybody ever talk directly to the, to the big man or woman? Anybody? A couple of you maybe? Yeah, one or two? Yeah. Well, I'll, you know, since we're, I'm, I'm ordained with UPC. Anybody ever talk to David Bernard? Anybody here ever talk to? Yeah, we got one there and one over here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've had a couple conversations with him, you know. Busy man. Here, here's what I'm getting at. Okay? Some of us have never talked to the President of the United States. Few, only a couple, have talked to the, the boss of their company, the CEO. And only a, a couple have talked to the General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. And yet, did you know that God, who hears the prayers of billions, wants to talk to you? I guarantee you, if you called the White House right now and said, hi, my name is, and I'd like to speak to President Joe Biden, I doubt you would get through. I do not think that they would rush into the Oval Office or wherever he is and say, Mr. President, Alicia's on the phone right now for you. I don't think it would happen. No offense, Alicia. It wouldn't happen for me either. You see what I'm saying? I just, I've emailed the governor of our state before, and I get back a letter from his secretary. 
You get what I'm saying? But when I talk to God, I don't have to go through an angel. And I love that when I pray, it's not, thank you for calling heaven. If you would like a miracle, press one. If you need a healing, press two. If you would like a blessing, press three. Oh, just get me to the big man, right? You know? I'm glad I don't have to do that. I'm glad I can just say Jesus and he's there. So let me ask you, why don't we pray more? Why don't we talk to him more? Why don't we commune with him more? It's our life blood of the church. Listen to how God used prayer from Solomon's perspective in Proverbs. Proverbs 15 verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. If God gets delighted from our prayers, I want to make him happy. I want to delight him. Same chapter 15, verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. I want Him to hear my prayer. Did you know that God's house is a house of prayer for all people? We know Jesus quoted that. He said, you've made it a den of thieves, but my house shall be a house of prayer. But actually, if you, if you go to Isaiah 56, 7, where he quoted that from, it says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. I'm not saying we need to change our name from the church of Omaha to house of prayer. But what I am saying is this, this will always be a house of prayer as long as I'm the lead pastor and bishop. Well, I'm glad somebody thanks the Lord for that. I know it's Wednesday night, but you can say amen if you want to. I'm thankful for the drama, Sister Alicia. I'm thankful for the praise team, Sister Powell. I'm I'm thankful for all the other ministries and things we do. But hear me, the number one priority of the Church of Omaha is going to be that we're going to keep this a house of prayer. Spiritual warfare. Did you know that that spiritual warfare, casting out uh, uh, demonic spirits is only possible and successful through prayer and fasting jesus said in mark 9 29 and he said to them this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting let me put a plug in here for the for the king james for a minute there are a lot of translations that either delete that verse or only say by prayer be careful with the translation you use it's not just prayer it's prayer and fasting i know our flesh loves food so does mine Today, I received a text of someone who was fasting and they brought in cinnamon rolls. And, and they had some carnal, I mean caramel on them, you know. Didn't that happen all the time? Isn't that, isn't that just like the devil? You know, you go to fast and everybody, oh, free Krispy Kreme. It's like, serious? Devil, you are a liar. Right? Amen. But, but listen, you know what fasting does? Fasting, let me tell you what it doesn't do. It doesn't twist God's arm. Okay, okay, fine, fine, I'll bless you. No, it doesn't twist God's arm. You know what it does? It gets your spirit in alignment with the Holy Spirit. It it helps to tune out all of the noise so that you can focus and hone in, radar, radar focus on what God wants and is saying. Hallelujah. There was a 84-year-old woman who was a prophetess named Anna who was serving at the time of Jesus' birth. And this is what the Bible says of her. She served God with fasting and prayers night and day. I was talking to the elder Wilson's Sunday when we went up there to preach in Norfolk. And, and Sister Wilson, uh, you know, her health is, has affected her at times. But she said, you know, Brother Powell, I may not be able to do a lot of things as I did in my younger years. But I can pray and I'm going to pray until I can't anymore. Amen. We need some Annas. We need some Simeons that will say, you know what? I may not be able to do a lot of things, but I can pray. Hallelujah. What a lifestyle to emulate. Did you know that the church was birthed in a prayer meeting? 
Have you ever read in the book of Acts? Watch this. Chapter 1, verse 12. I'll read it. Then they returned. This is the disciples. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. Watch this. Verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer. One accord means one mind, by the way. One accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. 120 people tarried for seven days and had a seven-day prayer meeting waiting on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church was birthed from a prayer meeting. Hmm. Don't tell me prayer don't work. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And after their spirit-filled prayer meeting and 3,000 get the Holy Ghost on the street, the Bible says in verse 42 of Acts 2, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. In Acts 3 verse 1, they continued daily at the hour of prayer. In Acts 6 verse 4, Peter said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In Acts 12 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. In Romans 12 verse 12, the church is to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and continue instant in prayer. In Ephesians 6, 18, we are to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In Philippians 4, 6, we are to be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known unto God. In Colossians 4, 2, we are to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. In Colossians 4, 12, we should emulate Epaphras who always laboring fervently for the saints in prayers. And in James 5, 15 and 16, we should pray the prayer of faith that heals in Jesus' name and forgives sins and saves souls because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And a beautiful summary of all of that is simply in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Hallelujah. Now, here's what's interesting. It says watch unto prayer. The word watch in 1 Peter 4, 7 means to be awake and vigilant. And coupling it with prayer indicates to pray without ceasing. In other words, if the end of all things is at hand, besides being sober, sound mind, we should also watch unto prayer diligently. Our number one priority should be prayer. Wow. Well, pause here for a moment. Those of you that remember when I moved here 13 years ago, I used to have a little white soapbox. I think it's being used for the stuff for the drama now. Yeah. Because I've deemed this whole platform my soapbox now. So I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a minute. And let me just start by saying I am so grateful for all of you. And I know I'm the most blessed pastor in the whole world. And that being said, I want to bring to your attention the need for more focused prayer. I'm going to lovingly ask you that if you're not going to pray during the 10 minutes, please don't come in here and talk. We, we have a prayer video that plays for about 10 minutes, and then a countdown for five. If you can't pray for at least those 10 minutes, please go out in the lobby and talk. Don't sit in here while others are trying to pray and talk. Please. Thank you. 10 minutes. Wednesday night, 10 minutes Sunday. It's not a whole lot of time to ask for us to stop conversations with each other and focus on a conversation with God. 
And if you don't know what to pray, then sit there and listen to others and worship. Because God does understand silence. Now besides that, please be praying daily too. But when we come for focused prayer, let's make it that. Let's pray together. Because prayer is to the soul what blood is to the body. And without it, we will die. Amen. It's good preaching, Bishop. I know it's a little tough, but that's good. Thank you. I needed to hear that. Yes. Yeah, me too. Amen. Praise God. Okay, here we go. All right, moving on. I mentioned prayer and fasting a minute ago. And some of you have already been hearing about this, but you're now going to hear about it even more publicly. From January 8th through the 28th, we're going to have a 21-day specific media fast. And whoever's got the flyers for me, if those could be handed out, who might have had them? Thank you, Brother Keith. So you're going to get a flyer, and I want to give a shout-out to Sister Nancy for putting this together. She, she texted me about uh, feeling some things in the Spirit. I felt confirmation of this in the Holy Ghost as well. Thank you, Brother Isaac and Brother Michael as well. Um, but you can see on here, she's done a very good job of, you know, explaining what to do and how to commit to it, um, as well as establishing a clear vision of what you can do to keep yourself accountable. And uh, we will be talking about this more, but during this media fast, I would also suggest do some food fasting as well. But I feel like if we focus on this media fast as our main priority, I believe it will help us to clear our minds. Let me just say something for a minute. This is the power of the media, okay? This is why we have to be careful with news or reels or however you get your, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, X, uh, you know, Fox News, CBS, you know, CNN, it doesn't matter. Here's why we have to be careful. <clears throat> There's a, a, even a Christmas carol or song that talks about donning our gay apparel, right? You ever heard that song? Don we now our gay apparel, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, right? That's because before the, the, the late 70s and 80s, the word gay meant happy. I don't remember the cartoon, but there was a cartoon. We'll have a gay old, Flintstones. We'll have a gay old time. It wasn't about being homosexual. It was about being happy and joyful and jovial. But, and I kid you not, billions of dollars was spent by people to reframe the narrative. I've read books about this. I've, I've listened to things about this that can be identified. This is not conspiracy theory. This is fact. They spent billions of dollars to, dollars to search out names. And so they said, if we take the word gay, and because of the civil rights movement, we add rights to it, gay rights. And now we have people believing that your sexual orientation is a right. We now have people believing that I can identify as either binary or non-binary. There's 107 possible genders I can choose from. I told Sister Courtney, who works at a bank, I said, Sister Courtney, I'm coming in Monday. I'm going to walk in and say, I identify as a billionaire. Give me my money. I don't think it'll work, but I'm going to try it. My point being, those billions of dollars changed a word and its meaning. And that's the power of media. Interesting that we call it media, and it's a medium. Do your homework on that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to shut that stuff off for at least 21 days as a church body together and say, okay, God, I'm shutting this noise off. Speak. Was it 12 miracles? 12. Brother Bounds, right? Aaron Bounds? Aaron Bounds. Brother Aaron Bounds did a, a, a fast. Was it this year or last year? I think it was last year. Anyway, did a 21-day did a media fast at their church, and at the end of it, 12 notable miracles God did in their church for them. 
of, of healings and so forth. Now, I'm not saying that, that we're doing it for that reason, and hopefully we'll get at least 12 too. My point is, we're going to do it because we want to draw closer to God. And if God decides to do 12 notable miracles, praise the Lord, or if he wants to do 120 notable miracles. The fact is, we, we're going to do this because we're going to refocus ourselves on hearing the voice of God. On there, you'll notice that the average person spends four hours a day on their phone for social media purposes and a three and a half or 3.6 hours watching television. That's almost eight hours. Imagine what we would be if we put that kind of information or that kind of time into the Word of God. And so pray and fast. Make sense? So you got plenty of time to gear up for it and get ready for it and then see what God will do for you personally and for us together as a church as we go through this together. Amen? The first two points so far have been being sober and watching unto prayer. And I'm going to read a passage from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 through 8, that hit on those but also segue into our third point. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. And that phrase, hope and love, is, or faith and love rather, is what segues into our third point. Notice in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover a multitude, or the multitude, of sins. Notice, though, I'm not going to take away from anything I just taught and the value of prayer and the value of fasting and the value of being sober, but notice, above all things, to have fervent charity. What's he meaning here? He's meaning that being so sober without love is moot. So what that you're sober-minded? So what that you've got a, a sound mind? If you don't love people, it's moot. You're like 1 Corinthians 13, the clanging cymbals and the crashing gong. Prayer and fasting without love is pointless. Why are you praying and fasting if you don't love others? You see, it's not either or. What he's saying here is do those things, but don't become so ingrained in the religion of those things that you lose the point of love. The Pharisees were praying people. But their prayers became their reward. I thank God that I tithe more than this guy over here. I thank God that I'm better than her. Right? Jesus said to the, the publican over in the corner, Oh God, beating his chest, forgive me a sinner. That's the guy that I want to bless. That's the guy I'm interested in. Love, we've got to have fervent charity. And notice that love covers the multitude of sins. When you love like Jesus, coupled with being sober, coupled with praying and fasting, there will be a demonstration of God's spirit and power. Can I tell you, our world is searching for authentic love. So what does it mean to have fervent charity? Here's what it means. To be strained or stretched out. It means to give everything you have to love others. It is intentional, it is earnest, and it is diligent. Here's a spiritual, or scriptural perspective, rather, of what it means to love fervently from the book of Jude, verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. There's that praying aspect, amen? You could insert implicitly the, the sober aspect. If I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, I'm most likely going to be sober-minded. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Verse 22, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating the, even the garments spotted by the flesh. In other words, 
This fervent charity is such that I'm going to pray, I'm going to build myself up, I'm going to be sober-minded, but I'm also going to be reaching for people. I'm going to keep myself in the love of God, looking for that mercy, because I want people to be saved. Amen. Jesus loved you and the world fervently. Certainly, we can love others in our church and community fervently. Sometimes when we say love the world, we think of, well, there's 8 billion people. Can I ask you just to break it down to just your neighbor for a minute? Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your coworker? Do you love the person next to you? Let's just make it real simple. Instead of just looking at always the big picture, let's just look at the small picture. Can I love one? Solomon also in Proverbs 10, 12 expressed the same thing, that love covers all sins, revealing the power of God's unconditional love. In some sense, implicitly here, Solomon is pointing to, the, to Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom. Zechariah explicitly prophesied that Jesus, because of his love, would remove all iniquity in one day. Therefore, I submit to you it was love, not nails, that held him to that tree. So, let's reveal God's love. Let's love people enough to tell them the truth about salvation. Let's love them enough to tell others about His mercy and grace. Let's love others enough to reach for them. Let's not be like the Levite and the priest that walked on the other side of the, of the man who was beaten. But let's be like the good Samaritan and go help them and love them. Verse four, or, or excuse me, verse 9 of chapter 4, 1 Peter. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. So the, the fourth thing we want to do since the, the time is short, since the end of all things is at hand, is to be hospitable and generous to others. And by the way, we're to do so without complaining or murmuring and with a cheerful, willing mind. All of these are what it means to, be, uh, to use hospitality without grudging. But here's something that's interesting. The Bible often couples the concept of hospitality with the terms guest, stranger, or sojourner. Because of this, scholars then usually limit the meaning of hospitality to benevolence done to those outside one's normal circle of friends. As is implied in the literal meaning of the Greek word, a love of strangers. You see, it's easy to be hospitable to people that are in your sphere of influence. But can you and do you show hospitality to those outside your circle? What about helping those who can't reciprocate? You know what, if we do that, who knows, we may actually wind up entertaining angels. Not that that's the motive, but if that happens, great. I read an article today about a man who was praying and all of a sudden saw a vision of the Lord enter his room. And he was so overwhelmed with this, this you know, angelic presence that was there and oh God thank you I wanted to see an angel I wanted to see you know part of your glory and thank you for this and while he was praying somebody knocked on his door and said can you please come and help and, and he paused for a moment he thought oh I've prayed for this my whole life I've always wanted to see but somebody needs help and so he finally went and helped them finished doing whatever it was and he got back and the Lord spoke to him and said if you would have stayed I would have left but because you left I stayed I want to see the presence of God, too. I want to feel his presence. I want to see it manifest itself. But if there's a need, I want to reach somebody. I want to help somebody. Amen? In verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 4, watch this. As every man, and, and this could include woman, so as every one, uh, every person has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I like that his grace is manifold. Amen? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives. And I'm going to pause right there for a minute in verse 11. The, the, the fifth thing we need to be doing is be good stewards of God's gifts. 
His manifold grace blesses His church with many different types of gifts and callings. And somebody said, Amen. I am so thankful for the diversity in the church. We've got people that have lived for God their whole lives. We've got people that have been in for just a few years. We've got people that have backslidden and returned. Praise the Lord. Amen. We've got people uh, you know, that, that, that are second and third generation. We've got people, you know, we've got different ethnicities. I love the diversity of the church. I'm also thankful that not all of us are exactly the same. That'd be a little boring. Right? It would also be an incomplete church. I have a right hand and I have a left hand. Can you imagine if I had two right hands? It wouldn't be, or, or just one hand, you know. I'd be incomplete. And I'm not mocking those who may have some deformity or deficiency. The point is, we, we, would, we would recognize that as incomplete. Well, it's true of the Spirit, too. And it's true of the church. And by the way, comparison is the enemy of unity. Don't be jealous of someone else's gift. Be the person God called you to be. He didn't make a mistake in giving you that gift. He gave you that gift, so don't make a mistake in not using it for His glorious purpose. Because if I'm jealous of Brother Gabriel's gift, I'm not using my gift, which means now... Whoever needed my gift ain't being blessed. If Jeff needed my gift, because I'm jealous of Gabriel's gift, Jeff's not getting the benefit of my gift. Does that make sense? And that's, that's the reality. And so thank God Brother Gabriel and Brother Jeff's gifts are different than mine. I'm glad for that. The word manifold actually means of various sorts. It indicates the multifaceted majesty of God's grace. And it coincides with the mosaic of ministry offered to God's church. Now, Peter does not go in depth like Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12. But we know all these different gifts. And we know all these different callings. And all these different purposes. And then he sums it up by saying, but we're one body. Amen? And I mentioned earlier... That's why I'm so grateful that 54% of TCOO is actively involved in some sort of ministry. The national average is about 34 to 44, depending upon uh, which article you read. So if you kind of put that in the middle and say like about 40%, you know, give or take, is the national average. Well, we're, we're well above that. I, I, I'm glad for that. I, I'd like to see us be 65% or more by next year. You hear us speaking about volunteering uh, you know, Pastor Trevor gets up and says something like that every Sunday. You know, if you want to volunteer, see, you know, Pastor Lucas, Sister Powell, you know, Sister Jackie Ferris, right? Well, in 2024, we're going to be launching a fresh, fresh approach to discipleship. Uh, Jeremy Cole, our teaching pastor, and his wife, Kiara, are working on some things that are going to help with a special uh, leadership track to get us to get more people engaged with the vision and the mission of TCOO. We know as a church and as the leaders of the church, that the end of all things is at hand and we want everyone to be a disciple maker for Jesus. So with doing all of that, those five things we mentioned there from the text tonight, the last part of verse 11 says that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The reason that we're going to do all these things. The reason that we're going to live the way we're going to live and be sober and watch unto prayer and all of that and fervent charity and all the rest of them is to bring glory to God. We're not doing it so we get brownie points and win the volunteer of the year for Jesus. No, we're doing it so that He's glorified. Jesus said that when we do good works, Amen. We're, he's glorified and people, are, people see Him. That's what we want. We want people to see the Lord. I want to live my life so that it brings glory to God every day. Like Paul, I want to die daily to this carnal flesh and submit to God and resist the devil. I am willing to pay the cost of discipleship, denying myself and taking up my cross daily. Because I want to hear Him say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. So the lesson then that 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 teaches is in this question. Since the end of all things is at hand, what are you doing that is eternal? Have you ever heard that phrase? And you've probably heard it like this. What in the world are you doing for heaven's sake? I want to show it to you this way. Can you put that up? What in the world are you doing for heaven's sake? Four questions. If tonight is your assessment and you're meeting, you know, the Lord and his holy angels, how will you answer that? What am I doing? And what am I doing in the world? And am I involved? Are you doing? Not, well, I go to church. No, what are you doing specifically for heaven's sake? The Bible tells me that if I save my life, I'll lose it. But if I lose my life for his sake, I'll find it. Well, I don't mind any of you telling anybody then that you work with that your pastor is a loser. I have lost my life for his sake. So go to, go, Jackie, I dare you. Go tell your people tomorrow when you go to your work that, you know, my pastor, he's a loser. If nothing else, it'll get a conversation going. Well, why you go to that church? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I want to lose my life for his sake so that I find it. So what in the world are you doing for heaven's sake. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, I have delivered this as you have delivered it to me. And I pray now that each of us will be able to take that, those questions, take this word tonight, these scriptures, and put them into practice. For indeed, the end of all things is at hand. I pray you would help us to be sober-minded watchful unto prayer. Help us, O oh God, to have that fervent charity so that love covers a multitude of sins, to use hospitality and be hospitable without complaining, and to be good stewards of the gifts you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.